Luke chapter 7, verse number 1. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole, that had been sick. I remember preaching from this text just a few months ago, around November for, I guess it was Veterans Day, we looked at the faith of this soldier. And this morning, I'm, I was brought back to this passage this week. Uh, out on the front porch one morning this week, the Lord uh, captivated my heart again with that, that statement that Jesus makes in verse number 9. I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. This morning, I, I'm coming to you with this message a, a little bit different than the time before, but I'm thinking about this great faith, but a great faith that is so hard to find. A great faith that is so hard to find. The Bible says, so great faith. I wonder this morning, if you were to consider back in your life and think back over the years of your Christian life and your experience, how many people have you known that you could say with certainty that he or she had great faith? And we all know a lot of people that have been part of our church. We all know people of faith. But before you go and say, oh, I can tell you about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and start listing them all out, remember Jesus said, the Lord said, I have not found so great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus highlights this one man as an example of great faith. That doesn't mean that there weren't other people of great faith. I've got to tell you, Mary had great faith, didn't she? Joseph had great faith, and certainly that is true. You might think this morning of a, a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather, somebody who might have had great faith. And you would put them in a category of being something above average, something they just had a, a walk with God and they had a belief in God and they had a trust in God that was something exceptional to the average and ordinary church member. You may, may remember a great preacher, a great Sunday school teacher that modeled great faith for you. You may think of a few whom you would put on that list. Jesus makes that amazing statement though. He says, I have not found. In other words, I have not observed I have not seen so great, meaning quantity, meaning so large a faith. So large a faith. No, not in Israel. In all of his experience, and I think maybe just for context this morning, maybe, he, maybe he's referencing his years of public ministry. I don't know. Because like I said, I believe Mary and Joseph were people of great faith. But he says here that he had not discovered anyone that had the kind of faith, the measure of faith, that this Roman centurion had until he, and I think this is important, 
hears. Notice Jesus never even meets the man, but he hears of his faith. Now, if you are a Bible student, you may know that over in Matthew chapter 8, this account is given again. And it's told there in such a way that when you read it and you don't have the Luke account, you might, you might think that there's this contradiction because it talks about how that the centurion comes and talks to Jesus. But if you look at the context of language and English and the structure of it, I'm not getting all that depth, but, in other, but there is literally, even in that Matthew account, he never personally comes and meets Jesus. It's all through the other people that he makes this contact with the Lord. And so here's a man that Jesus never even met, but he hears this faith. That's powerful faith. Remember how Paul said to the church that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. We can have such a faith that it gives us a testimony of trusting God. Here's a Roman military officer, the commander of a, a hundred soldiers. He's a centurion, and without doubt, he's a pagan by birth. And yet, in this hour of desperate need, he calls for Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you in our hour of desperate need, that is the only answer we have, friend. The world doesn't have the answer for your desperate need. The world will only help you to dig yourself deeper into the hole that you may find yourself in. And we can pause here this morning and say, thank God that faith and salvation are available to all. Here's a Roman centurion, born a pagan, not an Israelite, not one of God's people, and yet he calls on Jesus and Jesus responds to him. I'm glad Jesus came to all people. There's no one for whom the Lord Jesus Christ is not available. There's nobody sitting in this place this morning for whom the Lord Jesus Christ is not accessible and available in your life. We, the faith of this man had nothing to do with nationality, had nothing to do with his social standing, it had nothing to do with his religious education. We don't even know if he had any. Verse 7 says that he had heard of Jesus and we know that the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This man had faith in Christ because somebody had taught him the things of God. Somebody had taught him about the Lord. We know from the text that this centurion was a supporter of the Jews and their religion. We know that he had helped to build a synagogue. He had most likely heard the word of the Lord. Maybe when the synagogue was finished, you know, that would have been like the church building for the Jews. And maybe when it was finished because he had helped to build it. And by helping to build it, I don't know if he contributed money to it. I don't know if he lended some helping hands to it. I don't know if maybe he literally physically himself didn't go down there and help put the block together uh, for the building. But maybe when the dedication day came, uh, on that Sabbath, uh, they called and the centurion came uh, and he sat in the service and he listened to the priest teach uh, and he listened to the Word of God being read uh, and he listened to the Psalms being sung uh, and maybe faith was born in his heart. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's why we need to keep giving the Word of God in everything we do. Deep in this man's soul, there was a desperate need. There was a desire for help. And it was not for himself. It was not for a child. It was not for a spouse. It was not for a fellow soldier. But it was for his servant. This man had a deep concern for somebody that everybody else would have said, well, why does that even matter? Why should that even care? You know, I, I think that's a good reflection of how our life ought to be in our walk of faith. We ought to be known as people who care for those that nobody else wants any interest in. We ought to be known as people who reach out and, and call on God on behalf of people that nobody else cares about. I'll tell you this, and 
I, I wouldn't want to uh, highlight them in, in, in any way, shape, or form, but we had some folks come yesterday to our uh, event, and uh, boy, I turned around, and when I saw them come in, it took me a second, and Brother Corey, I think, recognized them right away, but it took me a second. I said, man, they look familiar, and then it hit me. And it was a family that we had helped here in the church before that had called us one day and said, uh, I'm behind on my bills. Miss Julia, you, would, uh, you might not saw her, and I don't know if you'd remembered it or not, but uh, I'm behind on my bills, and, uh, and I need help, and we're going to lose our home. I don't know. It was uh, one of those stories, and you get those stories, and you think, well, you know, uh, you don't know what's real and what's not. But I always go back to Chaplain Dollinger's instruction to me. He said, uh, Chaplain Barnett, always err on the side of helping people. And so we take a chance and we help people and, and they came to the Easter thing yesterday. They came with smiles on their faces. They came with an excitement about being there. And you could tell everything's not perfect in life yet, but they came. You know what? Just caring about people and loving people. And I tell you that they had been turned away by others. And thank God we had an opportunity to be a blessing and a help to them. And who knows what the Lord will do with that. Jesus was so impressed by this man's faith, he noted it as being greater than any he had seen at this point. Verse 9 says, Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Now I want to show you this morning the three qualities of this centurion's faith which must have made it great in the eyes of Jesus. And we can have this same great faith in our lives if we want it. Number one, I want you to see it was a faith expressed by love. A faith expressed by love. And I want to tell you right up front this morning, a lot of people talk about faith, and a lot of people shout about faith, and a lot of people sing about faith. But the faith that impresses God is a faith that's lived out in our daily lives. It's a faith that works. Amen? He had faith expressed by love. If there's something that stands out about this centurion and the little bit of information we're given about his life, it is that he lived his life for others. Others. Others mattered to him and others ought to matter to us. Though he's a Roman centurion, he's charged with keeping the peace, he's charged with enforcing Roman rule over the Jews, and yet he was a friend of the Jewish elders. He was so close to them that he could call on the elders of the synagogue and ask them to go to Jesus on his behalf. By the way, can I stop right there? Just a little side message. It's good to stay in touch with people that know how to get a hold of the Lord. Amen? Boy, we live in a day and a time today where everybody wants to isolate themselves. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. The irony of the situation is everybody wants to live their private, isolated life. Don't bother me. Don't engage me. Don't mess with me but I'll put my whole life on Facebook for you to see. It's irony. I don't understand it. I can't explain it, but people want to be isolated from real contact. I'm going to tell you something. We better have contact with Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling in that area, stay in touch with somebody who knows how to get in touch with the Lord. There are going to be times in everybody's life, including the preachers, where we're going to have a hard time getting our prayers above the ceiling. And life's going to smack us down and we're going to need somebody we can call and say, man, will you help me pray about this? I'm trying to pray, but I can't seem to get anywhere. But man, if you just call the Lord on my behalf, amen. Oh, we need to be in touch with people who know how to reach the Lord. This man was known for his love for Israel. When they came to Jesus, they said, Lord, he loves the, our people. He loves our nation. He's given and uh, he's given so much of himself. He helped build a synagogue in the city. I'll tell you something else about this centurion that shows his love. He was also a friendly man. Verse 6 says, Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion 
sent friends unto him. Now this man was a friendly man. This tells us something about his character, about his personality. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. If the Bible says he had friends, then the Bible says he was a friendly guy. Now I'll tell you what, we ought to be friendly people. A faith that is expressed in love. Uh, we ought to be the kind of people that folks don't mind being around. Amen? Now everybody has their days. There's days I can't stand myself. So I know there's going to be days you ain't going to like me. But those ought to be occasional. Not the normal. We ought to be friendly people. Friendly for Jesus' sake. Friendly like the Lord was friendly. Friendly like even a friend of sinners like Brother Russell preached about uh, last Sunday. We ought to be friendly people. Because I'm going to tell you again, there's going to be a time when you're going to need some friends in your life. And this man had done sent the preachers to Jesus. Now he's asking his friends to go to Jesus on his behalf. He's calling everybody he knows uh, to get some help. If you'll go to the Lord and ask the Lord and reach out to the Lord for me. He was a friendly guy. At the heart of the whole thing is that this centurion loved his servant. He loved people. Now I'll tell you something, when you love your servant, that says something about you. You see, he's loving somebody who can't do a whole lot to love him back. He's loving somebody who maybe the rest of society would consider unlovely. That's a lot like Jesus, isn't it? You know, this old centurion had a lot in common with Jesus, even though they'd never met. Can I tell you, thank God, the day I met him, he started giving me some stuff to be having in common with him. And the longer I serve him and the longer we walk with him, the more he's fashioning us and conforming us into the image of his dear son. He was dear unto him, the Bible says, meaning he was of great value, meaning he was precious. When we love others, that gets the attention of the Lord. Jesus took note of the fact that this man loved his servant. But you know the opposite's also true. Jesus knows when we don't love people. Say, preacher, this sounds like a good Sunday school lesson for the children. It is. All God's children need it. The Lord notes when you love people. You know, he said over there in Matthew 25, I believe it is. I wrote it down. Matthew 25, 40. That in that day of judgment, that the king's going to answer and say to them, when you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. He took note of how they loved others. But he takes note of the other too. It says later on in that chapter, in verse 45, Then shall he answer unto them that were on his left hand. He'll say, Verily, when you did it not unto the least of these, you did it not unto me. And the lesson stands true. The Lord says, I take note of how you treat other people, and how you treat others is how you treat me. Wow. I got some work to do, amen? How many of us ever messed up in how we treated somebody? The Lord says, I noticed that. Well, aren't you glad for the grace of God to help get us where we need to be? Now, I'm going to ask you this morning, who do you not love? What class, what race, what segment of society have you kind of blocked off as unfit? You see, the centurion's faith is so impressive to Jesus because it stems from an unprejudiced heart. He wasn't prejudiced toward the Jews, and he was in authority over them. He wasn't prejudiced toward a lowly servant. He loved him. 
This man had an unprejudiced heart. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God he was not prejudiced toward us. What was the greatest saying we heard preached this past week? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Who is it that we cannot love when Christ has loved us? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Notice this love for the servant, for Israel, for God. All this love allowed this man to live out desire. The desire of his heart. What did this man want more than anything else at this place and in this juncture of his life? He wanted his servant to be healed. He didn't want to see this man die. He didn't want to lose this person who was precious to him. And because he loved, he could have desire. Desire. Here's a man with responsibility, with authority, and yet a man who had not lost his ability to feel. I'm going to tell you something this morning, church. We live in a cold time. Do you want to know why a lot of people don't bow the knee? You want to know why a lot of people haven't shed a tear on an altar in maybe their whole life? They're cold. They're cold. They don't feel. Why is that? Everybody's born with feelings. Somewhere along the way, you found a way to push them down and keep them down. But you know what? When we do that, we're killing ourselves. Now, I'm the kind of guy, if you ain't figured it out yet, I'm the kind of guy that my feelings come out, my emotions show. I'm going to say things sometimes just because I need to say them. And if you get to be one of them lucky people that get to be one of my sounding boards, God bless you. And may He have mercy upon your ears. But you know what I've found to be true about me? If I can get somebody to just listen for a few minutes and I can just spill it out, I'm fine, I'm, I'm ready to go again. I can get so aggravated with some people sometimes, but if I can just go somewhere and let it out, I can come back and it ain't like nothing ever happened. But you know what some people have found a way to do? they found a way to suppress it all. Because somebody hurt them, somebody did them wrong, somebody wasn't right to them. And they've bottled it all up inside and they're dying on the inside. And they can't worship God freely. They can't express how they feel. Friends, we need to share our feelings. So many people in our day are shutting other people out, locking up their hearts, hanging a do not disturb sign on their soul. They're killing their desire. Men and women of great faith have always been men and women of great passion, great desire. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, who spent 51 years planting churches and establishing schools and translating the scriptures and bringing in more missionaries. When he wrote a letter to his sister in February of 1860, he wrote these lines, If I had a thousand pounds, China would have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for Him? Can we do enough for such a precious Savior? He had a passion, a desire. I ask you this morning, where's your passion? The desire of your heart. There's no great faith without great love. Love for God. Love for others. You would do well this morning to consider your own heart. Is there someone in this very sanctuary this morning for whom you hold a grudge? 
have a bitter spirit towards, an unforgiving spirit which was preached on Wednesday night. The Lord is equally impressed by your heart if you carry grudges and bitterness, but He's impressed in a different way. You see, James chapter 4 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Oh yeah, we have great lust in the church today. Oh yeah, we're lusting after all things that this world has to offer. But it is our love that Jesus says marks great faith. Number two, he had faith expressed with humility. Faith expressed with humility. I tell you, we're so far fallen from humility and even knowing what it means today. There's a big misconception today. If you're confident, you're considered to be arrogant. I've got that a lot in my life. Now, it's all right if I use me for a moment because I know me better than you. None of y'all would ever think this, but you know people thought that I was arrogant before. I'd show up places, meet people for the first time. I've had them tell me. I'll never forget when old uh, Steve Gregory from the Rock of Ages, he told me one time, we were preaching together at a church down in, on the other side of Fayetteville years ago. We were just sitting around talking. Brother Steve said, I tell you what, Barnett. First time I met you, I said, that's an arrogant little cuss right there. And then we got to know each other. Man, we cut up, have a good time. And don't, don't mistake confidence for arrogance or confidence for meaning they're not humble. Well, I'm going to tell you, when God puts something in your heart and you know who you are in Him, you know what you believe and where you stand, and you ain't worried about backing off of it for nobody, that's confidence. And all God's people ought to have some confidence about that. Now, I look at me in the mirror every day, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I know some things about me. I have no confidence in this flesh. I will mess up. I mean, at the drop of a hat and drop the hat the wrong way, messing up. I'm that kind of guy. But I know who I belong to. And I know what he's done in my heart. But humility, as already noted, here's a man that had authority in his life. He's a commander in the most powerful army in the world. He has servants. He has people to do for him and go for him. He has a real, I mean, he has the, the real authority and the seal of Rome behind everything that he does. Here's a man who could be so full of himself, and yet we read Luke 7, 6, when Jesus went with them, then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy. Thou shouldest enter into my, under my roof. He considered himself not worthy. Now, that wasn't fake either. I'm going to tell you something. Those of you that have any kind of experience leading other people, especially leading men in an alpha world, military and fire departments, police departments, whatever they be. Well, I might as well say men or women in the alpha world, right? There's some alpha women out there too. You've got to watch out for them. They are scary. I'd rather deal with an alpha male than an alpha female any day. I, they scare me. But back to my point. You can't be a centurion in the Roman army and not have some confidence and not have some backbone and not have some, you know, the ability to look at men and sort of get a response out of them. But this man before the Lord was as humble as they come. I'm not worthy. James said in James chapter 4, but he giveth more grace. This is right after that passage where he talked about biting and devouring each other. 
that whole thing of lusting and pride and consuming each other because everybody wants to be something more than everybody else. And he says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's our first order of business. We must submit ourselves to God. If I rise up every morning and the first thing I do is find my place to present myself to the Lord and say, God, it's not by my strength, it's not by my mind, it's not by what I can do, but Lord, I give myself to you today. Then I can have the power of God in my life. I can walk in humility before the Lord and confidence before men. Jesus noted the great faith of this centurion because it was expressed with true humility. And I say true. Because let me help you, church, there are people who hide behind a mask of pride. And it's often depicted as humility. Self-conceit, vanity, self-seeking, domineering, treating others as inferior, acting like no one else can do it as well as you can, being unteachable, resisting any negative feedback. One of the best things this church ever done for me is your pastor was bringing Brother Corey in a few months ago because I tell you what, he gives me negative feedback every day of my life. <laughs> right? We all need somebody in our life to speak some truth to us. To say, you know what? You're failing. You know what? You didn't handle that the right way. You know what? You should have listened. You shouldn't have been stubborn. Well, there's also people who hide behind a mask of false humility. You know, they're self-defeating. Their whole mentality is, is, I'm just a failure. And they become people pleasers. They're insecure with who they are. They're overly dependent on other people's opinions. Have a low self-image about themselves. And, but they mask it as humility. And it's not humility. It's a false humility. We're walking these two extremes when humility is being right where God made us and, and, and grateful for who God made us to be with an understanding that He's still working on us. Great faith teaches me to not think too highly of myself, but at the same time to not think too lowly of the person that God has made me to be. Psalm 139 and verse 14, I will praise Thee, not myself. I will praise Thee. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not by myself. I didn't do it. But by you, O oh Lord, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It wasn't my hands. It wasn't my talent. But marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. One man said this, Humility and human come from the Latin word humus, which means dirt. A human being is someone taken out of the dirt. A humble person is one who recognizes that and even rejoices in it. <laughs> oh, yes. Say, how do you rejoice in such a thing as that? Because I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. God took us out of the dirt. We are nothing without him, but thank God by the grace of God and the molding hand of God, I'm clay in the hand of the potter and he's making me a vessel of honor worthy of his name. It's not what I do. It's what he's done. And I'm preaching to you this morning. Who, preacher? I'm preaching to the one sitting there. 
It's time for you to get over you. It's time for us to let God be God in our life. Hey, look, you got problems and I got problems. We all got problems, but God's great. He can help us. We don't have to be ashamed and by all means to help us, Lord. We don't have to be arrogant if we'll let the Lord help us. So he had a faith that was expressed with humility. You know, true humility is the gateway to great faith. We ought to be secure in who we are in the Lord. In the Philippians, Paul said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you the last thing. But I want you to think about this honestly this morning. Is there anyone in here that you think yourself better than? Does your job make you better? Does your income make you better? Does your talent make you better? Or is it your condescending attitude that makes you better? You see, who in this room do you spot that you cannot see, as Paul wrote, better than yourself? I ought to be able to look across this room and understand that there's not a soul in here who's not better than me in some way, shape, or form. Ralph Waldo Emerson is the one who famously wrote this line, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I learn from him. What a great attitude to have. Look, let me illustrate this. Let me use my capable ministry staff. Would you stand with me for a moment? My iron which sharpeneth my iron and negative feedbacks me every day. I'm taller than him. Physically, I'm his superior. Now, I mean, you know, even not joking aside. I'm bigger. I won't talk about smarter. Just physically, I'm... But all joking aside, this man has more patience than I'll ever have in my life. Because what I was joking about earlier about him, I actually nail him day in and day out. Could you imagine having to work with me every day? No joke, this man is superior. And I look at him and I say, there's a young man that has patience to deal with people that I wish I had. He's my superior in that way. I can't claim to be better than him, right? Thank you. I'm about to give you the last thing, but I, I read something. I was, that quote from Emerson is one of my favorites. But I wanted to get it this morning and say it exactly as he wrote it, so I was looking it up. And when I looked up the quote, there was some feedback on the quote, you know, who said this and what did they mean? And there was a lady that wrote this, and it was so good. I said, I'm going to share that with the church this morning. This was just a lady. I think she called herself mother of twins. Whoever she is, I have no idea. But this is what she said about this quote. It means, remember the quote, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. She said, it means we are all very complex and have strengths and weaknesses. It's a way to remember that any person... Any one person isn't better than another. We all have worth and dignity in some way. Even the bum on the street is superior to me in some way. Him just being able to deal with the elements is something I would have a hard time doing. A secretary may be healthier. A doctor may be smarter. A woman in a mental hospital may be craftier. The second grade student more poetic. You just never know. Isn't it a shame that we sometimes look down on other people because we think we got it together? And what do they have? You know what our duty ought to be? As Christians, you know what our duty is? We ought to help bring them out of whatever it is that's holding them back and help them be what God has made them to be. You know, I'm a better preacher three years removed than I was when I first came here. I'm a better preacher because I've learned to be more insightful 
about the things that people are dealing with in their life. I couldn't do that without you bringing that out of me. I'm better because of you. And my prayer is that you're better because of me and that we've done that for each other. Let me give you the last thing. He had a faith that was expressed with love. He had a faith that was expressed by humility, but he had a faith that it was expressed in belief. You see, now we come to the part that we most often think of when we think of faith. This centurion believed that the Lord could help him. And that's a mark of great faith. Verse 7, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. You can't separate the word of God from great faith. And here's a man who already counted it as done. He knew that if his request got to Jesus, then his servant was as good as healed. Hebrews 11 and verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Great faith believes what hasn't even happened yet because of the word of God. He explains this faith in verse 8. And he says it, I'm just kind of paraphrasing what he says in verse 8, but he says, Lord, I'm a Roman, so I'm a Roman centurion. I understand the authority of command. When I speak, because of the authority that I've been invested with, men move and things get done. And Lord, I understand the command authority. And if I can do that and things get done, how much more if you were to speak? How much more if the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings were to speak would things happen in my life? He believed that. And I want to tell you this morning the difference between some of us and this man is we're just not believing God. Everybody in here believes God will. Or can, rather. But how many of us are believing God will? How many of us are acting as though it's already happened? When you take a step of faith, it is stepping out on something you may not see, but you've got the Word of God on it. And if God fails you this time, it'll be the first time. God said, we believe it. Believing faith. His faith wasn't based on his own merit. Remember, this was a humble man. But it's based on the person and power of Jesus. I wonder this morning, is it possible that we don't see results to our prayers Many times because either we trust too much in ourselves to help God out or we fail to truly believe that God's going to do it in the first place. It would change our life. It would change our heart. It would change our home and our worship if we would learn to make much of Jesus. God reminded Eli. Samuel was about to be brought in and he's going to be the the great prophet, the next one. But God reminded Eli, Eli's boys had began abusing their role as ministers and Eli was too much of a coward to deal with their sin. And God comes to him in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 30. He says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me. For them that honor me I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You know what God responds to? Your response to Him. They that honor me will I honor. They that despise me will I lightly esteem. Will you believe God this morning for whatever it is you need in your life? You see, love allowed Him to desire to want something without guilt. Humility allows Him to approach, to ask God for something without any shame. Belief allows Him to receive it. To have the answer God wants him to have. That kind of faith is what we need in our church. Jesus said in Luke 18 and verse 8, He says, When the Son of Man shall come, shall he find 
faith on the earth. This kind of faith is what he's looking for. Love, humility, belief. Couldn't the world use a little more of that? Couldn't our church use a little more of that? Couldn't our homes use a little more of that? The answer to all that is yes, but it begins in my heart and yours.